out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello, once again, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show. This is a bit of a special because I've been going through some old archives and uh, of interviews from various um, different, well, both musical worlds and other creative industries and came across this one, which I forgot about. This is Barkley James Harvest, um, a band I used to love in the 70s. There you go, it's out. And this is an interview I did with John Lees. And this is us having a chat about life, love, poetry, and probably about the dynamics of being in a band. Anyway, John, take it away. Yeah, so, sorry. Yeah, so could you just tell me again about the, um, the concert that you're going to be bringing to the, the, to the St Andrew's Hall in, in Norwich? Yeah, I can. Um, it's a show that we've been doing in Europe for the most, of, uh, most of this year. It involves us doing our own support which lasts for about 40 minutes, and then there's a 20-minute break, and then we come back on and do the main parts of the act. We're covering quite a lot of the band's catalogue, playing material from about 13 albums, um, from old right up to bang up to date, with two tracks from the the last album we had out, which was last year, an album called North. We do On Leave is the end of the first half, and then halfway through the second half we do a track called North, followed by Mockingbird, would you believe, which is one of the earlier tracks. So I think if you're a BGH fan from late 60s through to the, today, yes, uh, then there'll be something for you. Fantastic, because obviously you must have a, a very dedicated audience who who probably have, you know, like favourites, which are sort of obscure, sort of, B, not B-sides, but, you know, side two, last track. So do you, do you sort of recognise members of the audience when, they, when you're sort of gigging around both the UK and Europe? Yeah, we have a very, not small, but very loyal fan base. And, uh, yeah, over the years, uh, some have become real, real friends, yeah. Which and must be, I mean, a lot of the music, because it has a lot of kind of, the quality of your lyrics always had a, a, a sort of... St- a style which really resonated on quite a deep level. So you must have picked up um, a sort of your audience fan base and must kind of resonate with those sort of sentiments. Oh yeah, yeah. The people have come come in, into touch with the with the songs and the lyrics and uh, various points in their life, and they've met, they've either seen a shared experience or or it's meant something to them. There's a lot of social uh, comments. Yes, and uh, a lot of sociology in the songs. I think really, um, yeah. So with some real friends over the years, um, faces that you recognise at gigs, and, and there's quite a lot of interaction now with Facebook and, uh, yeah. and WhatsApp and all these other things where where people you know can keep in touch with you and and give you feedback all the time. I mean, there's no end of feedback every time you do a concert, which yeah. is great. Yes, absolutely. Um, because cause I was just saying earlier that um, when I was looking at sort of your output during the 70s, it was, you know, and I had sort of been, had, had been looking at David Bowie's, which was quite extraordinary during the 70s, where he did sort of about 10 albums in 10, you know, in, in that one decade and produced various albums. Barkley, James Harvest also were phenomenally, you know, prol- prolific, weren't they? Yes, yeah. I mean, it was it was constant work. We did a lot of constant work. We'd done the orchestral uh, tour, and it, it, it's enormous, it's been enormously expensive. The guy that was managing us at the time 
Um, it took him near to uh, bankruptcy, I think. And we had a we had a, a you know a couple of years of just working solidly in universities and recording and just trying to you know trying to get that money back. Very funny story about David Bay. Yes. We when we first become Barclay Gems Service, we were booked to do a, a gig in Stockport in the south of Manchester. And the support was one David Barry. Excellent. Um, and he was, uh, I think he was looking for somewhere to stay for the night after the gig. And uh, well, nobody was forthcoming, really. And within about a month of that, he'd got... Uh, Major Tom. Right. Big massive hit and everybody's saying, Isn't that, that guy we did that gig with? Yes. Because yeah. yeah. his uh, his 60s um, period was very sort of, I suppose, quite folky and slightly hippie, a bit like the Mark Bolan period as well. He was just a singer-songwriter, travelling singer-songwriter. He was the support folk act for, you know, for the Barclays doing this gig in Stockport, yeah. Which was quite amazing. Yeah. And also I noticed that recently I was reading the John Peel book, Good Night and Good Riddance, and I was quite amazed with his early, you know, late 60s and early 70s kind of... Um, Kind of, I suppose, show, and you did quite a. You did a session for for the John Peel Radio One show, didn't you? Yeah, I think. I know we did one. We might have done more than that, but uh, he was he was certainly. He, he he was the first person to play um, our record. Which was yeah, must have been a, a huge kind of moment for the yeah, band. Yeah, when we did early morning, he was he was the one that played it. You know, so that was the first thing we ever ever had played on radio. You know. Which, yeah, I mean, I was just kind of boggled by the, the sort of, because they sort of listed whoever put that book together, um, you know, this, this, just the different sort of bands and artists that he sort of w was promoting at that, well, all through his career, and it was yeah. quite boggling, and, and the way it sort of changed, because he played a lot of stuff from Genesis and Yes, and, and sort of the prog rock stuff as well, which I hadn't sort of known, because I came into John Peel a bit more in the 80s, so yeah. that was quite different. I mean, obviously, you've, you've always kept with the band, haven't you, all yeah. the way from the beginning? I mean, obviously, you know, I've spoke to quite a few people who have been in bands. I mean, that... That in itself is quite an amazing feat, actually, isn't it? Well, there are two entities of the band now. I mean, we split in the 90s um, and went our separate ways. Musical differences, really. Um, and this kind of... We realised at the time we split that the main object was Barclay James Harvest and that there would have to be some reference to that within, you know, for for original founder members, yeah, <clears throat> we came up with this this idea of uh, through the eyes of, and um, the both entities were supposed to be it would have been uh, Barclay James Harvest through the eyes of John Lee's, uh, Barclay James Harvest through the eyes of Les Allrod, the two main writers. Um, I linked back up with Woolley, yeah, to um, to do that, and uh, things went alright. People didn't. You know, I wanted to, to be absolute people to be absolutely certain that the that the band they were going to see would be the one that would be playing him, Child of the Universe, Boy Man's Moody Blues, all Mockingbird, all these songs that I'd written, you know, either by myself or with Wally. Yeah. Um so then it became John Lee's Barter James Harvest. So you would know, you know, that you wouldn't hear these other songs yes. if you came to see that. But I mean it's yeah, it's been a labour of love. I think the entity is bigger than the people in it, you know, this Barclay James Harvest, and it's classed as kind of 
progressive music, orchestral rock, whatever you want to call it. But I mean, really, it's it's a thing in itself now. It's been going so long. I think it will be 50 years next year that this music's been written and been around, you know, so it's, it's quite a feat, really. Well, it was interesting in the summer, I'd gone down to the, I think it was the Sarchi Gallery to see the the Ronan Stones exhibition. And I, I'd also gone to see the David Bowie one um, three years ago at the V&A. And it is quite incredible when you realise that, you know, those bands um, and artists had been going for so many decades. And obviously the Stones did hit 50. And, um, you know, just the fact that pe- people sort of man- maintaining and keeping it going, because it isn't just the band, is it? It's kind of a huge kind of... Well, I suppose it's like a brand. It's also like a business and a company as well, isn't it? Well, yeah. I think it's just. Um, I mean, it's it's a it's a work of art. Yes. <laughs> if it were pictures, they'd be in a gallery, but they're not the songs. And um, yeah, it's uh, if people are, people over the years have invested their energy, the money in in this kind in this music in Barclays and Harvest music, for instance. And it's kind of um, you feel sort of duty bound, while you can to um, to to play this live as it's because as, it's it's always better live. It's always you know there's always more of a life to it when it's live. Yeah, absolutely. Because the first time I sort of came across the band was when you did that amazing album in the '80s for the people of Berlin, which obviously. It had such an emotional charge. Do you remember much of, about that concert? Um, there were two. There was one in the west, in the west, which was kind of it was quite frightening, really. I mean, we were there a couple of few weeks ago, about three or four weeks ago. We did a gig in what was east, what had been East Berlin, and we were just we did an interview with a couple of papers in front of the Reichstag, which yeah. is a totally different ball game now. But I was showing the guy that was doing the interview on the side of the building um, the windows to the room, which was our dressing room. And it's quite funny to say, well, the Reichstag, at that juncture in in 1980, we were using it as our dressing room. (laughs) And the window that we were at was kind of looked into no man's land. Because I've been to, a, I, you know, I think it was in 87, a few years later, there was a big celebration of Berlin's birthday. I can't remember if it was 500 years or 700 years. No, I think it was 1,000 years of the city of Berlin. Was I, it? You might be wrong about I might be wrong about it, but I think it was 1,000 years. Yeah, and I remember, because this was actually, David Bowie was playing there, and, and obviously in 87, the wall was still up, and it did have quite a kind of atmosphere. Mm. I mean, even though it was his Glass Spider tour, which I have to say wasn't his finest kind well, of... Well, at the same time as you were watching that, that same year, yes, we were in East Berlin in Treptow Park, and we did a similar concert in Treptow Park, and there were there were tens of thousands of people there. Fantastic! And we went on then to play in a place called Brandenburg, which is where it's like a, a steel town, and it's where the gates, the Brandenburg gates, were actually, you know, the foundry where they were made, I believe. Yes. And then we went on to Dresden and played in Dresden. When it was east, when it was east Germany, you know, mm. so it was quite, it was quite happening, you know. Um, well, absolutely. It was. I mean, I, the, my one memory of the one in East Germany was how incredibly well spoken English all the German kids had. Yes, this is true. And I, I, with an American accent. 
<laughs> I was, so they I, obviously listen to Radio Free Europe, you know. Yes. They? Well, I was always a bit amazed, and someone said, "Yeah, but all the music they play, you know, listen to is going to be English, isn't it?" So yeah. they, they get get that kind of head start, whereas um, we don't really listen to too many German bands. So keeping, you know, obviously, you know, with everybody who's who's sort of managed to keep surviving, there have been sort of ups and downs, and obviously you've lost one or two kind of members who are very close to the band, including you mentioned Woolly, who was Stuart. Um, uh, is it Wollstonehome? Yeah, yeah. So that must have been an incredible loss for you and, and the band, but on a personal level, that must have been devastating. Well, yeah, it was really, because um, I'd, I'd sort of reached a point where I'm thinking, I could do with um, I could do with a few years off, really. Um, I was seriously thinking about that. Not in, and he persuaded me, well, he persuaded me, no, you know, it's... Uh, it's not about you, this is about the people that come to watch us. We need to keep going. So I said, all right, fair enough. And uh, we sort of took on a, some more gigs, really. One of them was a TV thing at Metropole Studios in London. Quite a big thing. And um, he, he just, he, he, he came down with uh, manic depression again. It was very difficult um it wasn't it wasn't easy to spot, but yeah. he did do the all. He did all the right things. He put himself into hospital, and and it was unfortunate that things went awry at the hospital. He was attacked by one of the other patients. Came out for the weekend while they kind of sorted everything out, and in that weekend took his own life. Uh, it was an absolute nightmare for us. Absolute tragedy. Um, we were we we either had to stop. Uh, immediately or, or continue and we've got so much so many things coming up that we said we just can't stop we've got to keep going and um, there was a lot of uh, soul searching and anger and sadness at the time in fact one of the songs that we finished the song that we actually finished the first half a song called on leave right is 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 our way of dealing with um what happened to us all when well he did commit suicide and how we try to come to terms with it it's kind of a song in two halves and the end of the song is it's a vocal chant where we go through a lot of things some funny some sad but, but memories that we have of all the things that have really you know when he spiraled out of control and when he wasn't when he was okay yeah. and it's a, it's a, it's a very poignant very poignant song about how how we dealt with and how we felt about, you know, all the things that happened to us. Um, so it's, it's, it was a bit, with Mel, I knew, you know, it was uh, it was a lifestyle choice. Yes. And um, it was very sad, but you know, it was his choice to live the way he lived. And, and so it was a little bit more acceptable, well, a lot more acceptable than, you know, than, than Woolley. Yeah, God, it is. It's quite. It's quite a story, isn't it? Sort of keeping these things going. You, you can't. You know, it's something you'll never get over. It's no. something you know. And it, and the the title on leave is uh, in relation to. Um, it was at Christmas, and uh, I got a Christmas card after he committed suicide that had been posted the weekend. Oh wow! And in the card, it just said, "On leave." God, that's um, and that's... that was you know, so it was it was pretty difficult to deal with the whole thing really. <laughs> so we tried to do it in the song.
Blimey. Yes, I suppose, you know, it's a great outlet, actually. But for those people coming to Norwich, I mean, they're going to sort of get everything and more. Oh, yeah, yeah. All the classics of the novel I've to Child of the Universe, Poor Man's Moody Blues, Mockingbird, Nathalia, Loving is Easy, For No One, She Said, Poet After the Day, Him, all big songs. We're, we're doing Memory of the Martyrs. It's the song that was written for the Berlin concert. It's the first time we've done it. We do it as a, a semi-acoustic number. Very, very, uh, a very emotional song. That finishes the uh, the set. Yeah. Wow. So there's, there's some really nice stuff there. And if you liked sort of the 80s, as Prezo does, Carvalos and Sideshow, Sideshow's about um, the news and uh, reporters. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And there you go. That's me in conversation with John Lees from Barclay James Harvest. Yes, I know. I get around. Anyway, this has been David Eastall. This has been the C86 Show. Thank you for listening, if you still are. <laughs>